Welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. As a church, we believe that you're made for this, and God has a plan for your life. Here's this week's message. What's up, Oasis Church? How are we doing today? My name is Jason. I am pretty fly for a white guy. And I pastor Coast Life Church in Venice, Florida. We have a Venice Beach. It is very different than your Venice Beach. Our Venice Beach is a bunch of Karens yelling at children for playing on the beach, but that's a different story. Uh, I am so honored to be with you. And uh, sincerely, out of my heart, I want you to know that your church is anointed, it's gifted, this is powerful, and I know that doesn't happen without some godly leadership. Would you honor your pastors, Pastor Julia, Christina? Come on, give them, give them big honor, big love. I truly, it truly is an honor and a privilege to be with you today. I want to, with the best of my ability, if the Holy Spirit will help me, I want to preach on the church today. I'm a church guy. I'm a local church guy. I love, I love church. I'm a church junkie. I love looking at church, listening to church. My dad was a pastor. I grew up in a rural town in Arkansas. My dad was a, a pastor there. Literally, my mom went into labor with me on a Wednesday night at Wednesday night Bible study. When I was born, the whole church was in the lobby waiting for me to be born. I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, which is pretty much the thought of every pastor's kid ever that's part of our dysfunction, but that's another message. But I do, I want to just preach on the church today. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of noise. And, and I want to try to just cut through some of the noise and provide some clarity around the church. If you have a Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen. First Timothy 3, verses 14 through 15. And this is Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he's writing to him about the church that he's leading. And he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And I want to preach a message today just simply called, it is what it is. There's some things that, that when it comes to the church, like you can talk about what all it should do and what, shall, what, what all it should be, but there's some things that it just is what it is. Can we pray today before we get into the word? Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand in your house. Jesus, this is your church. This is your day. These are your people. And everything that we do is for you, it's through you, and it's to you. And we pray you're blessed and you're honored in every song that's sung, and every word that's said, in every high five, handshake, every hug, God, every conversation, every kid that's ministered to, everything that happens on this campus today, one thing, Jesus, that your name would be glorified, and we give you praise, and everybody said, amen. Um, so I have terribly low self-esteem, and I say that for one reason, like just no confidence whatsoever, low, low confidence, self-worth, which means that when I preach, I need constant feedback and affirmation. Like you're going to think, my God, that's enough affirmation. No, it is absolutely not. 
enough affirmation. I need constant. If you're not from a church like that, that means I need you to say amen. And if you don't say amen, then I take it that I'm not preaching good. And then I just melt down. Like, so amen. Like that's so, that great word. That's so good. That's so good. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. You're so handsome. I'm just throwing ideas out there for you guys. Like if you want because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on strong a little bit in the beginning of this message. And so I just don't leave me up here awkwardly. OK, um, the the church is under attack. In fact, the church has been under attack. And you're like, well, you're starting out your message really negatively. Could you be positive? OK, I'm positive. The church is always going to be <laughs> under attack. It's been under attack since Jesus founded it. The church is under attack today and the church will be under attack, which if you read your Bible, the, the final battle in the book of Revelation is a battle where Jesus comes back and he defeats the Antichrist. He defeats the Antichrist spirit and everything that would war against his name, his church and his people. And Jesus ends the whole book by being victorious, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, conqueror, overcomer. And he is victorious. That's the, that's the final battle that we see. And today you and I are called to build the church and battle the kingdom of darkness. And if you've ever wondered what our job is, our job is to, is to, is building is our battle. That's our responsibility today. We build the church and we battle building is our battle. And I think so there's so many people trying to figure out their life and wanting to find fulfillment and wanting to find a sense of purpose. And I really believe this, that if you want your life to make sense, if you want your life to have fulfillment, if you want a deep sense of purpose, then you have to realize that God saved you for a purpose. That there was a there was a purpose to your salvation and the purpose of your salvation was so that God could use you to build his church. That God saves you. Listen, salvation is a personal thing, but calling is a corporate thing. And if it was only about salvation, that if that's all that it was, was like, hey, I need to get saved, then you would be sitting in a church and you would raise your hand and you would pray a prayer of faith and then God would just kill you. Be like, that's it. You're home. You know, you made it. But he left you here. He saved you. Why did he save you? So because you have a purpose. And that we have to connect with something that is greater than ourselves. In fact, Paul said it this way, Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23, it says, and he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all and all things belong to Jesus. There, there is not a square inch of this universe that does not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there is not a person, there's not a place, there's not a thing. There is nothing that doesn't belong to Jesus, which raises the question, if that's true, then why do we see the things that are going on in our world? Why, why do we see the things that we know grieve the heart of God? Why do we see the things that we know are just instinctively off and they're wrong? It's because we know this. This is the predicament that we're in today, that everything belongs to Jesus, but not yet has everything been surrendered to Jesus. That he on, on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus now is the one who is Lord of the universe and he is the one seated at the right hand of God the Father and he is King of kings and Lord of lords. 
But we're in the space of time right now. We're in the space of time right now where it all belongs to Jesus. But we have the opportunity, whether or not we surrender things to Jesus, that we have that choice. But there is coming a day, by the way, when there will not be a surrender because there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And today where Christ reigns is through his church. And the church is not the kingdom of God. I think so many people misunderstand that Jesus, first of all, came to establish a kingdom. That he is a king with a kingdom. And where Jesus reigns through his power and his presence and his word, all of that comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ to recognize him as king. But the position that Jesus has taken is that Jesus now reigns through his church. And the church isn't the kingdom of God, but the church is the vehicle through which the kingdom of God increases. So, so when, when the church diminishes, the kingdom shrinks. When the church advances, the kingdom grows. We've got to understand that this, this is the place where is the vehicle where the kingdom of God and Oasis, when you worship like you just worship, can I just submit to you that it's a battleground for the kingdom of God, that, that when the church prays, that the kingdom of God begins to advance and our battle is to build the church and in building the church, we battle the kingdom of darkness. In fact, Jesus taught us the strategic location of the church of Jesus Christ. He said, where is my church going to be located? And he said this, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus has chosen the battleground. He's chosen the place for the church and it's not on the back lines of the battle and it's not on the sideline of the battle. He said the church is going to be at the very gates of hell and it's going to be what is pushing back the territory of darkness. And today we just need to realize it is what it is. The church is the battleground of the kingdom of God. And when we increase the church, the, the kingdom of God advances, that when we build the church, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ begins to move throughout the earth. And we are what pushes back the stronghold of the enemy. And it reminds us that we're called to build the church. We're called to partner with God in building his house. We're called to champion the church. We're called to love the church the way that Jesus loves the church. And one of the subtle ways the enemy works is he gets people to have a negative view of the church. Like that's one of the things that he loves to do is, is to undermine the mission of the church by just sowing toxicity into the culture where people have this negative perception. I think it's, I think it's kind of pervasive in our age. And it's challenging. And these, these are a couple of strong statements. So I need an amen. It's difficult to have a right view of God and have a negative view of the church. In fact, it's difficult to have right doctrine and a wrong view of the church. When we allow the enemy to contort our view of the church, he uses that to begin to contort our perception of God. He uses that to begin to twist and manipulate the truth of the word of God in our life. And right now, I think he's always done it, but I think it maybe is more prevalent than ever that the enemy loves to use people's hurt and pain to get them messed up and, and, and to cloud their view 
of the church. Listen, so he can get you off mission for your purpose in life. Like that's, that's the point of it, to get you off track with God's purpose and God's will for your life. And, and the, listen, there, I'm not claiming the church is perfect. Like there, there, there's absolutely no sense of that. If you have never been offended in church, this is probably your first day at church. And there's a good chance that you got offended from wherever you came from to here in the seat that you're in right now. Like there's just all kinds of opportunity for, for church hurt is the phrase that we use today. And it's like, well, there's church hurt. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't like that. I don't like that phrase because it gives the sense that the whole universal global church, like, like the people in the underground church in China hurt you. And I would submit to you that those poor people have not done anything to you. And most of the time it's, it's either a bad culture in the church or it's a bad person in the church or it's some abusive leadership in the church. And the only way we can claim church hurt is if the whole church was like, hey, should we, should we church hurt Becky? Let's take a vote. And the whole church was like, I, let's church hurt the heck out of Becky. Then you got, hold, you got hurt by the whole church. But most often is it's just some offense, it's some hurt that the enemy loves to, to manipulate and we have to wrestle through the fact that the church is imperfect because God allows imperfect people to be a part of the church. Like the church is imperfect because God let you and I in. And it's not being a perfect church. And the church is what I call perfectly imperfect because God is perfect, but we are not. And a perfect God uses imperfect people to perfectly fulfill his purpose on the earth today. And it's so incredible to me that, that God allows this to take place, that there's, there's so many opportunities for, for hurt from, from big things to small things. People like, I'm, I'm not a hugging pastor. Like there's some pastors that just feel comfortable hugging everybody. Uh, I, I'm uncomfortable with human touch, so I, I don't do that. And also like, if you've ever gone for the, if you've ever gone in for the big hug and somebody gave you the handshake, how much of a creep do you feel like in that moment? Like you are instantly a creep. And so I just like got tired of like, are we fist bumping now? Are we handshaking? Are we hugging? And then there, there is a fine line on an appropriate hug and an inappropriate hug. Do y'all know that? Like there's a really fine line. If you hold a hug a half a second too long, it turns from a, an appropriate hug to a creepy hug in like a half a second. So you like hug somebody, let them go. That's an appropriate hug. You hold, you hug somebody, you hold it a half a second too long, inappropriate. Like you hug somebody, Jesus loves you. You hug and you hold the hug. It's like Jesus loves you. And I'll be staring in your windows later tonight. It's like, I'm, welcome to church. Let go. It's fine. Welcome to church. You hold the hug. It's like you might want to go ahead and get that restraining order started. Like we just got something going here. I love you. Just want to freak people out. You just hold the hug and they try to pull away and you're just like, no, shh, 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 shh. stay right here. Stay right here. Let's just hold this for a minute. And it doesn't matter what it is. Like there's an enemy that wants to twist anything he can. And the problem with that, listen to me, the problem with the enemy allowing to have us to get a negative view to like, to like contort our image is that according to the Bible, there is a connection between the church and the truth. So what is the enemy after? He's after the truth that God is trying to establish in our world. In fact, we read it in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. The, 
Paul said, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing to you these things. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Watch this, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. I love the word buttress. Come on, we need a strong buttress. We need a firm buttress. We need a sturdy buttress. Maybe, maybe foundation is a better word. Uh, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And the historical universal church is where God has established truth on his word. What does that mean? That means that our church fathers that Jesus picked and the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will remind you of all the things that I've said. And we take that as meaning that the Holy Spirit is going to bring remembrance to Bible verses. And that's certainly true. But Jesus was literally saying that, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to help you write this book. That this, this is going to be the truth of the word of God. And, and the church, the universal historical church is where God has established the truth. And so today we get caught into where, where is the foundation of society? Where is the foundation of culture? And under everything that we see, there are undergirding things, undergirding things. In the United States of America, the undergirding document of our nation is something called the Constitution. Like all of our laws, the way we structure government, everything that we do is founded on something called the Constitution. I'm not, I'm not here to be a hater. I bless the nation. Uh, sometimes our nation is a mess, but I kind of like our mess versus every, everybody else's mess. And it is what it is. Like that's what, that's what the underguarding document, the founding document of our nation is the Constitution. All of the businesses, all of the things that we're a part of in our world, the entertainment, the, the, the services we use from our cell phones to our, our everything that we use is, is a established by companies that have corporate values, like they're leading out of what their vision is for the world and what is important to them. And those corporate values are what undergird those corporations. But can I remind you today that the church of Jesus Christ is the only institution that is founded on the eternal living word of God and the church is the foundation and pillar of truth in a culture. And when God has established this, it's so when, con when, the, when the nations of the world and governments are going crazy and they're losing their mind and corporate values are shifting and they're changing their values and they're moving away and it's like shifting sand and it's changing from one decade to another decade and one generation to another generation. God said, no, my church is going to be the one that's going to be solid and on a foundation and it's going to be what pushes back against all the other things that are going on in the world and it amazes me listen be involved in politics if you want to be involved in the culture wars if you want to I have this theory where should Christians be involved anywhere they want to be involved to go go for it but can I just remind you we shouldn't be more passionate about politics and culture wars than we are building the church of Jesus Christ and making sure that there is a foundation of truth and Oasis Church today is a part of the foundation of truth in a generation and in a society because the church, it is what it is. It is the foundation of truth in our culture. If you remove the church, if you remove the church, there is no foundation of truth in the world. And I want to remind you today that when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for a nation and he's not coming back for a corporation. He's not coming back for the U.S. and he's not coming back for Apple Incorporated. He is coming back for a church, a bride that was about spot or wrinkle. And if you want to know what Jesus is building today, come on, somebody. Jesus is building his church today. I have to pick all this up. I should have thought about that before I did this illustration. And I'm also a church kid. I can't leave stuff on the ground. 
The church is the foundation of truth for our culture, and there's an enemy that wants to erode the foundation, listen to me, by exploiting people's hurt to create disunity and undergird the church. I love what Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, he's called the Prince of Preachers. This is a long quote, but he said, the church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved his church and let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in his church than I can. I have equal confidence that he sees no fault at all because he covers her faults with his own love, that love which covers a multitude of sins, and he removes all her defilement with that precious blood which washes away all the transgressions of his people. Is the church imperfect? Absolutely, it's imperfect. Are we covered by the blood of a spotless lamb? Yes, we are covered by the blood of a spotless lamb. And we build the church because we have a heart for families. Where else are you going to find in our world today that's a safe place to build your family? We, we have a heart for the church because we have a heart for cities. What's the foundation of a city? What, what, what are the roots of, of something? It's the church of Jesus Christ. And I, I know everybody's focused on everything else, but I believe that God has a heart for communities, so he gives us churches. Well, listen to me. We have a heart for another generation, so we build the church because it's the height of audacity to think that the church today can change what this book means. No, we, there are faithful people who gave their lives to hand us the truth of the word of God and we receive something that we paid no price for and now we pay the price so that we can pass it down to another generation and say this is the truth of the word of God. We have a heart for the house. We love the church because Jesus is jealous for his church. Like he's jealous for his church. The, the first few chapters of the, of the book of Revelation give us this picture. Like what is Jesus doing today? What, what, what's he up to today? Well, the first few chapters of the book of Revelation tell us that Jesus is, is walking through his church. The picture is of a candlestick with all of these lamps lit, but each one of them represents seven churches, and Jesus is just walking through. The, the Bible says he's walking through the candlesticks. So what is Jesus doing today? Jesus is just walking through his church. While everybody's focused on what's happening in Washington, D.C., while everybody's focused on what's happening on the economic capitals of the world, you know what Jesus is focused on? His church. You know what his eye is on? His church. And the Bible says, Revelation says he's walking through his church and then he's correcting his church. He's given sometimes some strong correction and then he's equipping his church and he's loving his church and we're passionate about the church because Jesus is passionate about his church. There's, there's a story of Jesus going to the temple in, in the gospels and it's one of Jesus's trips to Jerusalem and, and he goes and it's one of those it's one of those pictures of Jesus that messes with everybody because we have this idea of Jesus that he was super soft and that like he had a well-groomed beard and he had really kind eyes and he was always holding children and there was like lambs always running through his feet and like, you know, like just this really genteel picture of Jesus and then they would come to this temple deal and like Jesus grabs a whip and starts beating people and throwing tables over and it messes with our ideology of Jesus. But the disciples watch this. Jesus goes to the temple. It represented the church of his day. It represented the house of God and Jesus begins to go clear it out. And the Bible says that when his disciples watched him do this, they were reminded of a verse in John 2, 17, 
It says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. But when they saw Jesus, when they saw his relationship to the church, the house of God, the scripture it reminded them of was passion for God's house is going to consume me. Can I just be honest and tell you, it, it messes with me sometimes because I wonder if people saw my relationship to the church, what Bible verse would it remind them of? Like, What would people say about my life if they saw my relationship to the church? And we all want to be like Jesus. And can I submit to you that being like Jesus means we're passionate about the church of Jesus Christ? That this is where we come to give our time and to give our talent and to give our treasure. Like this is where we come to, to ensure that there is a place of meeting. And it's incredible because when Jesus cleansed the temple, what happens, the Bible's Matthew carries it out in another place that when Jesus cleansed the temple and, and, and he brought it back to its original purpose, which was a meeting place. This, my house is going to be a house of prayer for all people that everyone's going to be able to come here and have a meeting place with God. The Bible says that when he did that, that children, Children begin to fill the place and they begin to praise God and that miracles begin to happen. Jesus began. There were no healings in the temple. There were no miracles in the temple. But when Jesus cleansed it, all of a sudden people are getting their miracles and the next generation is learning how to praise God. Can I tell you, that's what happens in the church of Jesus Christ. That is this place that is a designated house of worship. It is a designated house of prayer. It is a designated house of God's presence. It is a designated place where we meet with God. And when we lose our heart for the house, we lose our investment in the house. If the enemy can cause us to lose the power and potential of what we do in this room, then we no longer want to make an investment where God has made all of his investment, where God has placed everything that he has. And there's the story of the woman with the, with, with the alabaster box, a year's worth of salary, and she breaks into where Jesus is at, and she pours it all out on Jesus's feet. One year's salary just poured out on someone's feet. And the Bible says they began to criticize her and said this was waste. And Jesus said, no, this wasn't waste. This is what I call worship. This is an intentional moment that she has created an atmosphere where my name is going to be worshiped and this is going to live in memorial and wherever the gospel is going to preach, this lady's story is going to be told because can I submit to you that what we submit and what we invest and what we give, it is never wasted because God wants a designated place of worship in his house. And that's what the church is. It is what it is. It's a designated place of God's presence. And it's like, well, I can meet with God in my living room. Yes, that's true. But it's awkward when I try to do it unless you give me a key. I can meet with God on the beach. Yes, that's true. But that's not a designated place. You know what this represents to the city? This is a designated place that if I can get there, then I know I can meet God in that place. If I can get there, then I might be able to get my miracle in that house. If I can get there, then my marriage might be able to get put back together. If I can get there, then God might hear my prayer and save my children. And we come into this place. Listen to me. This isn't the place I get blessed from the church. There is so much blessing in the church, but can I submit to you that this isn't the place that I come to get blessed. This is the place that I come to make an investment, that this is where I come to give my offerings. This is where I come to give my tithe. This is where I come to serve. This is where I come to find out that the world isn't all about me, but I'm a part of something bigger than my life. This is a place where I come to realize that I'm not here to build my name. I'm here to build a name that is above everything 
every other name, that this is the place that I'm not here to be, to fulfill more of who I am. This is where I come to lay my life down, that this isn't where I come to be a big deal. This is where I come to get my ego checked, and this is where I come to get my character called out, and this is where I come to lay it all down. This is the place that I come to give all of myself to, and when I give myself to it, there's some people going to find God, and God's going to build his house, and it's imperfect, and it's messy, but this is the chosen place. God has established his name and his word. Come on, give God some praise in the room. This is the house of God. And I just have this passion to make sure that every person on the planet knows you belong in the house of God. You belong in the family of God. We use these phrases, our church uses them. Like one of our, you know, you come on our campus, you'll see this phrase, welcome home. We didn't come up with that unless you've never heard it before. In that case, we did. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome home. I just, like, if you were to come to my house, I would want you to feel welcome, right? I mean, and I just have this idea, like, how much more should people be welcomed in God's house? We use this phrase, like, you belong here. Because as a pastor, I've heard it said, invite people to church. Man, if I walked in that church, the building would burn down. And I always tell them, if that were going to happen, it would have burned down when some of us walked in. You're okay, you know. It's like, you belong here. The enemy will tell you all kinds of lies. You shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. You're out of place here. You're not one of those spiritual people. You're not one of those Christian people. You're not one of those church people. Hey, not yet, but you belong here. One of them that, one of them that I think needs a little bit of explanation because I think it might, in our, in our desire to encourage people, I think it might give the wrong impression. And people say this, they go, hey, this is a church where you can belong before you believe. And what that really means is it's out of people's hearts to know that maybe you don't know, you may not have everything worked out with God yet, but you can still come to church here. You, you may not understand all the doctrine and theology yet. You may not have all of that established yet, but you can still come and worship and you're welcome here. But we gotta be careful because if we're not, like the, the, the impression that it gives is that it's our decision on who gets in and who's not in. And the problem with that is we can all welcome you in the building, but none of us can put you in the church. It's not a person who puts you in the church. And if you're not careful, you'll base your relationship to the church based on your relationship with people. And it's not people who put you in the church. In fact, could I submit to you that if you're not in the church today, you're not part of the family of God and you wanted to be. That if we took a poll and like we surveyed this whole congregation and we were like, hey, uh, how, many, how many of you want Jerry to be a part of the family of God? And 100% of us were like, we do not want Jerry to be a part of the family of God. Did you know none of us could keep you out if you have faith to trust Jesus to put you in? And I don't think it's 100%. I think it's more 50-50. But my point is, is that there's a place for you. And Acts 2.47 says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you catch that? The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so it's not actually you can belong before you believe. 
That would mean that it's up to us to determine who gets in. And none of us can determine who gets in the family of God. It's God who saves you and it's God who adds you to his family. And today, you know what God wants to do? God wants to save and God wants to add to his own family because it's God that adds his sons and his daughters. And none of us can add you because we're just sons and daughters too. And we just got in by grace through faith. And today I believe God wants to save you and he wants to add you to his family. And I want to remind you that there are only two teams in the world and we can boil it down to this, that there is team world. We are either in the world and we are on that team or there is team church and we are on the team that is in the church. And I just want to remind you today that team church is the winning team. It's the one that's going to be victorious through Jesus Christ. Come on, let me pray for you today all over this room. Bow your heads. I want to ask you a question, a, a, a genuine question. Like what is your heart posture towards the church of Jesus Christ? What is your relationship to the family of God? And, and I know you might be working it through. Listen to me. Coming to church does not save you. That's 100% accurate. Stepping into a religious building, doing religious things does not, does not save you. It is a relationship to God through Jesus Christ, through his son. That's, that's where our salvation it is. It's through faith in his name. It's through our whole surrender to him, to his will, his way, his purpose. That in that moment, in response to our faith, God puts grace on our life. And none of us deserved it. None of us were worthy of it. But God saved us with a holy calling. But I believe you can tell a lot about your relationship to God. By your relationship with his sons and daughters. And today, you may feel estranged from God. You may feel distant. You may not feel like you're welcomed in the church today. And my prayer for you is that God would do two things simultaneously. You ready for this? My prayer for you is that God would save you. And not just to save you, that God would save you. And then he would add you to his own family. And today, things that would blow your mind, like phrases you would never, you would never be comfortable with. I believe today God wants to call you son. I believe that today God wants to call you daughter. Today, I believe God wants to call you part of his own family. Come on all over this room. That this is your moment. That a moment of faith in Jesus. Nobody can keep you out of the family of God. It's Jesus that puts you in. And if that's you today, you've never, never had that moment of salvation. Never had that moment. God, save me. Save me and add me. Make me. Help me. Today, come on, can I pray for you all over this room? I want everybody to say this prayer out loud, but I want somebody to pray it from their heart. We're going to say it as a church family, but today somebody is calling out for a relationship with Jesus. Today, somebody is believing that God is saving them and adding them to his own family. Come on, all over this room, say, Lord Jesus, I receive you now. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my past. Wash away my sin. Make me a new person. Today I receive you as my leader and my Lord. And I'll never be the same. Come on, let's make it a declaration. I'll never be the same. Come on, let's make it a declaration. I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give God some praise? Would you stand on your feet all over this room? Let's give God some praise in this place. 
I love to give people a moment of confidence. I love to give you a moment of clarity. Come on, could we mark this moment and make this a decision that I'm not going back, I'm going forward? Could we mark this moment and just make a determination that everything that happened up to this point has been washed away by the blood of Jesus? And I'm a brand, if any person is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. You're a brand new man. You're a brand new woman. I want to give you a moment to mark it. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if that's you today, you're saying, I believe God is saving me and I believe God is adding me. And by the way, I don't, I don't believe there's a better place for you to be planted than right here in this room with this family right now. And I believe God is saving and adding. When I get to three, if that's you and you're making that decision today, would you just lift a hand? I want to mark this moment for you. You ready, Oasis family? Come on, can we cheer some people on today on the count of three? One, two, come on, we need a little faith in the room. Come on, if that was you, three, shoot it up right now. Say, that's my decision today. Today, I am a child of God. Today, I am saved and added to the family of God. Come on, can we praise God for building His church? Say, welcome to the family of God, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share with a friend. To join us on the journey of being present, connected, and generous, visit oasisla.org slash connect. We love you so much and we'll see you soon.